Hello and welcome to the Rebel Chronicles, the show giving you little snippets of revolutionary history. My name's Paul Case and I've got a little bit of a cold, so sorry if I do some sniffing um, while I'm speaking. Uh, so, in the last episode we touched on uh, Luigi Parmigiani, an Italian anarchist who advocated individual acts of criminality in order to strike against the ruling class as opposed to organising a popular movement. Uh, he fits into a loose offshoot of anarchism known as the Illegalists, who are well worth taking a look at, even though I personally find them a bit hateful. Um, so, essentially, the Illegalist philosophy uh, finds its roots in Max Stirner, who uh, became a byword for the extreme individualist anarchism with his book The Ego and His Own, which was published in 1844. Stirner's main idea was that the individual, the ego, is the only thing that matters, and anything outside of the ego is inconsequential. Uh, any attempt to bind the ego in common with other egos, he regarded as shackling this liberty, which obviously included a huge range of institutions, religions, philosophies, ethics and politics, and consequently Stirner aggressively attacked pretty much everyone from the most authoritarian governments to socialist groups. In Stirner's view, the world must be rid of all authority so the ego can develop unhindered in a world where the only thing to consider is your own wants and your own desires. But for someone so fundamentally anti-religion, Stirner had some weird shades of mysticism going on, such as his concept of the union of egos, which is the state in which egos can come together but this will never be for mutual benefit, only for the benefit of the individual ego. Um, his influence on anarchism can be seen in his ideas on the state. He thought that the state is not a natural authority, and that the ego should have the choice whether to collude with it or not. As the concept of egoism spreads and individuals depart from the state's centralised morality to realise their own individual morality, it would, in Stirner's view, be rendered useless and collapse. Max Stirner was probably not much fun to hang out with. On its publication, the ego in his own caused a bit of a stir, aggravating some prominent philosophers, but it was soon forgotten. Stirner died in 1856, and it wasn't until the late 19th century and early 20th century that his ideas were resurrected by European anarchists. It's impossible to separate this kind of individualism from the rise of propaganda by the deed in the 1880s. This is the idea that propaganda is not just in pamphlets and speeches, but in action itself. Now, this is slightly different to direct action. So, direct action is a way of bypassing the traditional roots of change, such as petitioning the government and protesting in such a way that the actions directly influence the outcome. For example, if a forest blockade stops miners from tearing down a rainforest in order to plunder its natural resources, that is direct action. On the other hand, propaganda by deed's purpose was simply to inspire others through action, and the action itself did not necessarily have to have a revolutionary result it just had to contribute to the overall influence of anarchism. It was officially adopted as a method of anarchist action in London in July 1881, 
at the International Anarchist Congress. Prominent anarchists such as Enrico Malatesta, Luis Michel and Peter Kropotkin were present, along with assorted anti-authoritarians from all over Europe. Now, it's probably fair to say that this decision was heavily influenced by the assassination of the much-hated Russian Tsar Alexander II three months earlier. The assassination was carried out by the People's Will, who were a deeply secretive organisation, hoping to inspire others to pressurise the Russian state into a constitution through violent action. After three assassination attempts, an attempted train bombing that missed the Tsar's train and blew up another instead, a fumble bombing of a bridge in St. Petersburg as the Tsar passed over it, and an attempt to blow up the dining room of the Winter Palace, the People's Will issued a statement to the government threatening that the violence would continue unless a constitution was drawn up immediately. The Tsar and his cronies fumbled about a bit with a constitution that generally still left powers in the hands of those who had it before. The People's Will, tired of waiting, decided on another assassination attempt. This time, they were successful. Finding out that the Tsar took a regular drive every Sunday on the same route, the group organised to mine his car with grenades at hand to finish the job, should it be necessary. The Sunday of the assassination, the car took a slightly different route missing the mines, but the people's will were prepared. Giving the signal to launch their hand grenades, the initial bombing missed their target, hitting some guards instead. Alexander II apparently, if so foolishly, insisted on checking the condition of the injured, and it was then that Ignaty Grinovitsky stepped forward, throwing a hand grenade at close quarters and killing the Tsar instantly. Grinovitsky was also killed by the blast. After the International Anarchist Congress in London, the residue of Stirner's ideas eventually blended with propaganda by deed, creating a fringe strain of anarchism called illegalism, which lionised individual acts of criminality as acts of individual rebellion. The focus here was not on inspiring a revolutionary movement, not on mass expropriation, on isolated attacks. The French Bonnard gang were probably the most pure expression of illegalism. Beforehand, individual anarchists stole, as I'm certain many poor people did and do. And while these thefts were frequently to sustain themselves, we cannot avoid the political context of barely surviving on starvation wages or no wages at all. Individual anarchists also assassinated heads of state after Alexander II by French President Carnot and American President McKinley were killed by anarchists. And while many other anarchists understood these acts of violence but did not necessarily agree with them, the notion of the illegal act was becoming an end in itself. The Bonneau gang formed in 1911 and consisted of Octave Garnier, Raymond Calamin, Jean de Beau, Edouard Carry and Jules Bonner. Now, as much as I love telling stories and making these things exciting, to be honest, I've got no interest in glorifying these Muppets, but I will recount their brief existence. Their first heist as a gang was on December 21st, 1911, 
when they robbed a bank in Paris. Only a little while later, on January 2nd, 1912, they celebrated the new year by breaking into the home of a rich man, murdering him and his maid, and making away with 30,000 francs. These thefts, it must be said, were purely out of self-interest. The lack of working-class consciousness and conscience is easily evident in the murder of the maid, who presumably posed no threat whatsoever to an armed gang of four men. At one point, Garnier even bragged, Why kill workers? They are vile slaves, and without them, there wouldn't be the bourgeoisie and the rich. What a nice guy. Their demise was fairly ignoble, or noble if you're one to respect such idiocy. The gang split in April 1912, and on the 28th of April, police surrounded the house where Bono was hiding out. By this time, many of the loose members and associates of the gang had been arrested. Keeping the police at a distance with a hail of bullets, they eventually ordered the house to be dynamited, with Bono lying and dead in the rubble. The Bernard gang and their ilk were hated by anarchists, their actions and short-sightedness having nothing other than a pernicious effect on radical organising. A 1913 article in the paper Freedom stated this. Simple-minded young comrades were often led away by the illegalist apparent anarchist logic. Outsiders simply felt disgusted with anarchist ideas and stopped their ears to any propaganda. This is the sad logical conclusion of so-called radical individualism. The self-satisfaction of it all inevitably drags down the efforts of those who are genuinely attempting to shape a better world. Thank you for listening to the Rebel Chronicles. My name's Paul Case. Any comments can be emailed to me at captainoftherant at riseup.net. And since we've been talking a bit about theft, I'm going to play you out on an excellent song about shoplifting. It's the Autonomads with Supermarket Sweep.